Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. I'm just looking at something shiny here. Uh, somebody sent a, well, a letter in that interesting. I might have to research that one. But again, as I said, yes, I tried to make the screen larger and managed to erase all my letters. So if you have sent a letter that uh, it wasn't answered and you really need an answer, well, send it again. Because, well, you know, me and computers. That said... Let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit that right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell. Satan, evil spirits, who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Lord, Again, I'd ask you, so many people need our prayers, Lord. Please bless Bill and help the doctors to heal him and, and all those who are suffering from COVID. And um, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Um, another friend just had a liver transplant and doing well. We ask you to bless all these people, all the people we love who are sick, be it spiritually or physically, for both. We know that you hold us in the palm of your hand, Lord. Thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's do it. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. <clears throat> All right. Now, we, we're bouncing back to the first book of Maccabees, and um, uh, the, the officers, uh, this is First Maccabees, the second chapter. Now, this is kind of interesting. The officers of the, officers of the king in charge of enforcing apostasy. <laughs> in other words enforcing the the uh conforming to the state religion uh um that understand what what's going on here you could worship any gods you want provided that you also worship the gods of the state it was just a matter of towing the line in conformity uh people often talk about uh the great tolerance of romans um, and they were, uh, in, by worldly standards. Uh, however, the idea of one God is absolutely foreign to the ancient world. Uh, you got to understand the gods. The gods were immortal. They weren't eternal. Uh, what's the difference? Well, eternal means timeless. Uh, having no beginning, no end. The gods had a beginning and the gods would have an end. 
They were immortal in that they did not die the way that we mortals did. Uh, they, they weren't subject to the laws of death. They would end, but it wasn't quite death. And there were different, different eras uh, ruled by different gods, uh, a com thing completely foreign to us. What they really were worshiping were nature spirits. It, it's, I don't know if you've ever heard me say a thing like this, but there are really only two religions in the world. Two religions, so lots of different creeds and faiths and all that sort of thing. But in terms of religion, either the universe is somehow self-creating uh, or it is created by uh, a being outside of it. And we are theists. We believe that, that a being, uh, an all-powerful being, outside of the creation, who's not dependent on the creation for his existence, brought all things into being by his will. Most people in the history of the world have believed, whether they know it or not, that, that the world, the universe, is eternal. It is unending. Um, the idea of the Big Bang is a modern idea, and Einstein was just opposed to it until he finally had to admit that uh, Monsignor Lemaitre, uh, a Catholic priest who came up with the idea of the Big Bang, he didn't call it the Big Bang, but he came up with the idea of the Big Bang. And that's very significant. It means, it means science in our times agrees that time had a beginning and the universe had a beginning. What there was before this explosion of light, uh, we don't know. And it's beyond our ability to investigate it. Uh, but this universe with its, law, with its laws of physics came into being at a certain point in history, be it 7,000 years ago or 14 billion years ago. I don't know, I wasn't there. However, most people throughout the history of the world have assumed that this existence, this, this universe, this physical reality was forever. And received a spiritual reality within it. Nature spirits that um, we human beings tend to, to think everything has a personality. Certainly my computers do and they don't like me. Uh, so I'm just joking. Um, the, the, the idea of uh, things having spirits. Um, well, that's what people, trees had spirits, nature spirits. And these, these spirits were mythologized in, into gods. Uh, so the gods were not all powerful. They were not eternal. They were not all knowing. They just had a lot more than we did. Uh, and St. Paul and the early Christians seemed to have believed that the gods were real, except they weren't gods. They were demons. Uh, you know, people get all excited about leprechauns and all these, these cute things of, of folklore and fairies. They're malevolent spirits. Ask somebody who really knows Irish mythology and the leprechauns and the, and the fairies. This is the old religion. Um, European people worshipped these nature spirits and, and the Romans worshipped nature spirits. The Greeks worshipped the personification of certain qualities and virtues uh, more than the Romans did. But essential Roman religion 
was um, it was the god. Oh gosh, I'm really digressing here, but ah, it's something I think that's worth knowing. Uh, the the Romans worship what they called the numina, and the singular, which is Newman, not Cardinal Newman, not the fellow in Jerry Seinfeld uh, comedy, but the the numina. Uh, you go into a place in the forest, and it seems spooky. They'd say there are there's a Newman there. There's numina. Hello, this Newman. Was, this was neuter. <laughs> was that was that live? I hope it was. That would be cool. That's cool. Hello, Newman. Yes, that's what they would Hello, say when Newman. they came into a clearing in the forest that was spooky. Hello, Newman. And you'd offer sacrifice. They had thousands of gods. They had the god of the door. You had the god of this, the god of that. And they were always placating the gods. You see, these nature spirits, including, you know, talk to an old Irishman, uh, the, the, the leprechauns and the fairies, you had to keep them off your, off your case. They didn't like people. They didn't care about people. They they were and uh, the what's uh, they do that right now in Thailand. Uh, the voice in my head said, "Well, uh, come live. What? What? What's? Uh, tell the story. Tell the story." So, Father. So I, I spend a little bit of time in Thailand, and I would go, uh, and there would be little shrines to the spirits outside of each building. So they believed, from what I understand, I could be wrong. But when you when you build a building, you're actually taking land away from the evil spirits. So you ha- you build a shrine to them, and then you give them. So they would there's there's cans of Fanta and Coke everywhere with straws for the spirits as as a, almost like really? a gift to the evil spirits. <laughs> really, really, yeah. This is all over wow. Thailand. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it's still now, happening Thailand today. is essentially it's essentially a Hindu country, right? No, predominantly Buddhist. Oh, it's predominantly Buddhist. Predominantly Buddhist. Oh, I thought I thought there was Hinduism in in Thailand also. There might hmm, be some, but, but from my experience there for a month or so, it was it was pretty much Buddhist temples everywhere. But they 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 maintain that old religion of of de- of course, uh, Buddhism is more a philosophy than a religion. It sounds like they maintain the old religion while embracing Buddhist philosophy. Interesting. Absolutely. Well, let me continue with with the Shmir. This is this is a religious awareness that's completely different from ours as Christians. Uh, or people who are in cultures that have been Christian. So this was the really now Greeks kind of ramped it up a, a, a notch. They, they personified the gods more than Romans did, and the Romans adopted this personification of the gods. Uh, the gods were nameless, faceless spirits for the Romans, but as Greek influence spread, they began to... Uh, incorporate that Greek idea of the gods. But religion on a practical basis was was what uh, Nick, the voice in my head, said, uh, that um, it was kind of a voodoo to keep the gods from, to keep the gods off your case. You know, they, they didn't like you. They didn't care about you. They might play with you and, and you know, you know, and uh, yank your chain because, well, that's their gods. Uh, you were, might be amusing to them. But what developed in Greco-Roman religion was the cult of kings, that kings would claim descent from gods. Uh, For instance, Julius Caesar claimed to be descended from both the god Mars and the goddess Venus, thus charging him with a certain element of divinity. Um, I think Mithridates of... of, uh, uh, what is now Turkey claimed to be descended from Hercules, that sort of thing, and so the gods, the kings of of the world were to be worshipped, and you could worship any god you chose, provided you also honored the state cult, and it was conformity. Now that applies very strongly to us. 
that we <laughs> we are they're insisting that we worship at the state shrine um that we agree with what the majority agrees with that we tolerate and permit and you know i i think we should be tolerant people but <laughs> have you ever heard the saying one should keep an open mind but it's quite a different thing to let geese fly around in there uh, fine you have a conscience you believe this behavior is right i have a conscience i believe it's wrong well how dare you how dare you? you're condemning no i'm not condemning you i'm saying i don't agree with you if you're in good conscience what can i say but my conscience forbids this to me and forbids me to participate in it forbids me to fund it uh forbids me to uh to to say it's it's objectively good maybe i'm wrong but I have to be faithful to my conscience, just as you have to be faithful to your conscience. I think most of the people in the new state cult, which, uh, which honors very bizarre things, they're not uh, honoring their conscience. They're honoring their pleasures and desires, which is different. They have thought that their opinion is their conscience, and it is not. But uh, I digress a great deal. Uh, so that's what's going on here. That that Now, I, I want you to... It sounds like, like this is... Uh, uh, um, uh, an encouragement to violence because uh, uh, the Maccabee uh, here, which one is it? It's Matathias. i got to keep my Maccabees straight. Um, it was a priest, the family of Matathias, killed uh, the the this Jew who said, ah, you're crazy, just off it. I actually know a priest who once said, ah, the old guy Eliezer should just have eaten the pork and shut up. Uh, that wasn't what they did. <laughs> that astonished me when I heard that sermon. But uh, the back to this fellow. A certain Jew came forward and offered sacrifice, and Matthias killed him and killed the messenger. Now, this is bold. This is brave. I don't know that that, that that's what we should take from this. Um, the 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 Maccabees didn't end up so well. Uh, the Maccabees um, uh, eventually became very corrupt. You know, this is an interesting thing. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we should do it. You look at Abraham and his solution to his infertility, his wife's infertility problem, take a concubine. Look at how that worked out. We're still fighting in the Middle East because those guys <laughs> had, had wives and concubines. You know, that uh, um, um, Hagar, <laughs> the son of Hagar, uh, Ishmael, is the father of the tribes of Arabs and uh, Isaac. Uh, is the grandfather of Israel and those 12 tribes. We're still paying for it this day. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we should do it. And if you look at the history of the Maccabees, they became terrible collaborationists and they led ultimately to Herod the Great. Uh, they they started out as revolutionaries, but they ended as collaborators uh, in a generation or two. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we should do it that way. That's what I mean when I say the Bible is very human and very divine. All right. Um, well, let's go to uh, the gospel real quickly. Uh, this is, oh dear, let me look at the time. The uh, um, the gospel here is problematic. People look at this text and Jesus is describing with great clarity what was going to happen to Jerusalem. Uh, about your enemies will come around you. I think I shared with you already uh, 
when Jesus said where the corpse is, the eagles will also be, you'd expect vultures. But he says eagles. The Roman Romans carried eagles in front of their uh, legions. Uh, the Roman eagle was the symbol of that, that legion. And for the enemy to capture the legion was a great humiliation for that, that Roman legion. Uh, Jesus was, he was saying where the vulture is, there, where the corpse is, the the, the 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 Roman eagles are going to be. Now, a lot of scholars say, well, clearly, because Jesus prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, this must be written after the siege of Jerusalem. That's crazy. That's that's ridiculous reasoning. That's assuming there is no such thing as prophetic speech. And <laughs> think about uh, Fatima. <laughs> think about uh, uh uh, oh, which is it? Our Lady of Good Success in uh, uh, in is it in Peru? I think it's in Peru. Uh, she she calls the 20th century almost to the T. Um, God does reveal these things when it's important to His plan to do so. And the Gospel of Luke, if you look at it, it doesn't end. It it doesn't say whether Paul is acquitted. And it doesn't really talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. It alludes prophetically to it. So the gospel uh, of, of Luke had to be written in the early 60s because it doesn't tell us what happened to St. Paul. Remember that Luke and Acts are two volumes of the same same work. Um, that That is the scholarly opinion. Um, they, it doesn't. It doesn't finish. It finishes with, and he stayed in his rented lodging for two years. Uh, that's not telling us whether he was acquitted or convicted. And of course, the strong tradition is that he was acquitted, traveled again, came back to Rome, was rearrested around 64 A.D. So um, this is this is uh, a very interesting text of scripture. And I just want to end with this: You did not recognize the time of your visitation. That word is episcopis, the same as the word for bishop. Episcopus is, is bishop, episcopis is visitation, episcopi. And what it means is inspection. We think of a visitation, how nice we're going to be visited. Oh no, it's a, a, it's a, an inspection. And, um, you know, one of the great jobs of the bishop is to know what's going on in his diocese firsthand. I think it's a very, very important uh, consideration for bishops that that uh, uh, he needs to know his clergy really really well and really paternally and uh, he needs to know his parishes that the, the very name episcopus means inspector and uh, you didn't recognize the time of your your inspection jesus the coming of jesus was the inspection of israel the religion of Israel, the religion of the temple, was held up against Jesus, and and it was found lacking. In other words, it was all about the glitz, the glitter, the gold, and the, the smells and the bells. And Jesus was a humble God. He was the visible image of the invisible God, and that's what God looks like. And the temple refused to recognize him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they said he has a demon. Uh, what they were saying was, well, if he were from God, he'd look like us because we're from God. No, he was from God. They weren't. So occasionally God inspects us, holds us up. Have you ever met someone who's really holy? And then you realize, mm, I thought I was holy. Then I met them. Um, that That's an episcopi. 
that's a that's in a sense an inspection that when you meet a saint and that saint their very presence convicts you of your own sinfulness what do you do how do you react ah they're crazy they're fanatical you know the definition of a fanatic is someone who loves jesus more than you do you know oh they're fanatical well no they're just <laughs> they just love jesus more than you do and and when we look at a saint and our reaction is bah forget them or our reaction is oh how i wish i could emulate them the way they imitate christ so they didn't recognize the time of their inspection, and so often I don't either. All right, that said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with our mass hysteria, and uh, um, we will um, then move on to letters and phone calls. And, of course, a word of the day. We'll be right back. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Do call in. There are flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Oh, such a beautiful song. Me, 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 we, 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 we rise again from ashes because we are so cool. You know, that's the thing about, about, um, this music that makes me crazy. It's all about us. <laughs> At any rate, the narcissism that has bled over into liturgy. Well, it's time to talk about mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Oh, I guess I, I want to continue with yesterday's theme. Can't we all just get along? Um, it is interesting how much venom and spleen, whatever that is, is 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 um, poured out for liturgical subjects, um, and I I really think that there needs to be some real um, um, some real reason dialogue. Why is this good? Why is that good? To suspend our condemnation? Well, it's not what we did before. Well, yeah. Well, that's not a reason to not do it now. Or is it, you know, that I think that that the word Catholic, and, and this is really kind of what I want to say in this little segment. I'll try to be brief. The word Catholic means universal. And most people think of Catholic as embracing the current world. It does. The word, the word is a Greek word, katholes, which means down through the whole thing. The, the Catholicism embraces the whole world. We are not Italian Catholics. We are not American Catholics. We're Catholics in America, Catholics in Italy, Catholics in Germany. Wherever we are, we're Catholics there. People talk about the American church. I don't want to be part of the American church. I want to be part of the Catholic church in America. I want to have that familial relationship with all of humanity. That's what Catholic means. It doesn't just apply, though, to 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 space it applies to time i am intimately related to what has gone before me and i am intimately related to what will come after me if the lord delays you see i owe a debt to the past and i have a responsibility to the future and i suspect that the the radical changes that happened in 1960, which were not part of the liturgy. They were not part of Vatican II. 
the absolute the the Vatican II never turned the altars around. Vatican II never did away with Latin. Vatican II never did away with those things. The liturgical movement did, but the liturgical movement is not infallible. A church council is part of the 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 teaching authority of the church in a very direct and powerful way, and so the council don't badmouth the council, but the liturgical movement, for instance, the Hootenanny Mass that I often mention was invented by Archbishop Rembert Weakland, if my history is right. Um, now every Mass is ex it's expected that is, every Mass is a Hootenanny Mass in some way or other. Uh, there are churches where uh, every Mass is a guitar Mass. And this was never envisioned by the Council. Um, that total abrupt change in the liturgy so that what we're doing now would be unrecognizable to someone who was a Catholic in 1950 or in the year 1000 or in the year 300 in the year 200. It would be unrecognizable. And the reason that we did this is we need to go back to the early Christian uh, approach to things. You know, earlier is better. Earlier is not necessarily better. Um, the, the, that's a logical fallacy that, that the, absolute inconsistency of our liturgical attitudes uh, to what went before, these make us not Catholic, not universal. Um, I look at, at the informality, you know, I, I was at a mass, oh gosh, a while ago, in which, if I'm recalling, the... Uh, <laughs> The song leader commentator in this little country church was wearing, I think he was wearing shorts and deck shoes and a t-shirt. And that would be incomprehensible to someone 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago. Uh, that means it's not in union with the church universal. And I, th I think that we need to understand the Mass should be Catholic. I don't mean one way or the other. I'm not talking for the, the, the old mass or the new mass. I, I think that we need to emphasize those elements of continuity in the liturgy. If, if I were king of the forest, I would restore some of the old offertory prayers. To me, it is, it's almost humorous that we put in uh, the Jewish blessing of bread and wine in the offertory and did away with all the old offertory prayers. And at the same time, we did away with some of the most Jewish parts of the mass. The repetition in threes, the bells, uh, the coverings of the chalice. These are all things we get from, from uh, the Old Testament, from the Hebrew scriptures, and often from Jewish practice. Um, you know, we do things in threes in the Mass. Uh, the Byzantines still do, but we've gotten rid of a lot of our threes. We don't do, Lord, I'm not worthy, Lord, I'm not worthy, Lord, I'm not worthy. Why are threes important to Judaism? Because threes, uh, when something is, it happens um, in a succession of three, it's it's for real. If you, I go into the synagogue and I sit in the same pew three Sabbaths in a row, that's my pew. And if somebody else sits there, I look at him with a quizzical look and he realizes that's my seat, he moves elsewhere. Third time's the charm. Uh, um, the th three, the, the succession, succession of threes is it confirms the reality of it. That's why Jesus was in the tomb three days. When you're in the tomb three days, you're really dead. You're not just uh, a catatonic, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, 
so when we would say holy 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 well that's three lamb of god lamb of god lamb of god that's three uh, but uh, through my fault through my fault through my most grievous fault that's three uh lord i'm not worthy lord i'm not worthy lord i'm not worthy which was in threes um we did away with with uh that people want to do away with the bells the covering of the chalice for instance is reminiscent of of the ark of the covenant that um it's a symbol of the covering of the Holy Spirit. And all of these very Jewish things we kind of took out. The liturgists wanted to take out. And then they put in the Jewish uh, prayers before meal, before grace before uh, dinner. And it was just such an abrupt change uh, that it, it wrenched us from an organic Catholic growth. I'm not opposed to liturgical reform. But uh, liturgical experimentation is quite another thing. So that's my opinion. Sorry about that. All right, let's go to letters. All right, remember, I told you yesterday that I pressed the wrong button. I told you earlier in the show, I pressed the wrong button and lost all my letters. I had moved some letters to a more friendly uh, computer. Uh, so I've got some letters, and I did get some today. So if you had a question that you just needed to have answered and you haven't heard from me in a while... Uh, send it again because, well, <laughs> you don't mean computers. They're evil, I tell you. All right. This is from Alice. How does the Lutheran consubstantiation differ from our Catholic transubstantiation? For that matter, all I about, know about the latter is that the end of the consecration, the unleavened bread and wine, is now body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. But I have no clue how it gets from food and drink to divinity. Is there any theology? Oh, there's lots of theology about the process. And carving wines want to know. Uh, is the Orthodox view the same as ours? Uh, yes, it is. Um, what is the difference in consubstantiation and transubstantiation? Uh, the um, consubstantiation says that the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus is intermingled with the substance of bread and wine. We believe that there's no more bread and wine there. It may look like bread and taste like wine, but there's no bread and wine there. It's jesus it is the whole christ uh and that well that's crazy i mean it's clearly bread and wine it looks like bread and wine i would suggest if you think that look up eucharistic miracle of buenos aires eucharistic miracle of sokolka and eucharistic miracle of uh uh i believe it is oviedo is it not oviedo come on what what's the one in italy voice in my head uh the eucharistic miracle what is the Eucharistic miracle famous one in Italy about 700, 800 AD? Oh, gosh, I can't think of it. Well, no, not, no, not, no, it, no, it's one that, Lanciano, Lanciano, the Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the, uh, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, the, uh, uh, Catholics, uh, Roman Catholics, loved the Orthodox. When there's a miracle, they say there's a miracle. Uh, the the Roman the Roman Church. What we like to do is oh, send it to a scientist. This can't be true. Um, well, uh, it's very interesting. This uh, the Eucharistic miracles. They they utterly fascinate me. And the three I just mentioned, all three of those were sent for forensic testing. In fact, is I talked to one of the lawyers. Uh, um, wrote a beautiful book about it, uh, who, who actually carried the hand-delivered uh, the uh, sample of the host in Buenos Aires that had 
miraculously changed into visible flesh and blood. He, uh, um, oh, I can't think of his name, Ron, oh gosh, uh, Tesoriero, Ron Tesoriero, I believe is his name. Uh, I had the privilege to talk to him for quite a while. Um, he hand-delivered it to a forensic pathologist in New York to confirm the diagnosis of the, of the, of the forensic pathologist in Buenos Aires. And with Sokolka, the same thing, with Lanciano, the same thing. It is not simply visibly become flesh and blood. It's a particular kind of flesh and blood. The, the tissue is taken from the heart, the left ventricle. So when you receive communion, it may look like bread and wine, but you're receiving the sacred heart. You're receiving the heart of Jesus. This, uh, this intrigues me, that those three miracles, and I think more, but certainly those three uh, are, are, are cardiac tissue. And uh, um, to think that God is putting the sacred heart into my hands, into your hands, on your tongue, whichever way you receive communion, um, giving his beloved to you for care. It's breathtaking. So, yeah, we believe, I don't know how this happens, but it happens on a level much more profound than matter. Um, So... I, I don't know if that helps at all, Alice. God bless, and thanks for, for writing in and for listening. I think I can do one more, and then we'll take a break. Okay. <laughs> this is great fun. This is from a random Catholic woman. <laughs> uh, next time someone asks my pronouns, I want to tell them that the pronouns are thou, thee, thy, and thine. Is this too too sarcastic an answer? Not at all, my dear. Not at all. You know, thou, thee, thy, and thine, we always think they're formal, but they're actually the familiar. In English, the familiar has died out. We just say you, which was the formal. Uh, uh, until very recently, Quakers refused to use you. It was too grand. They used thou and thee and thine. Um, Richard Nixon's mother, who was a devout Quaker, always called him thee. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yes, I think this is very good. Uh, why? Well, why do we? The only place we see thou, thee, and thine, and all that is in prayer. Isn't that formal? No, God and the saints, they know us better than anybody. So. We call we address God by the familiar as we would our daddy. So there you go. All right, that said, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day and uh, phone calls at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. More useless nuggets of, of stuff to come. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Now everybody clap your hands. Give yourself a chance. Well, somebody called in. was very sick of my being divisive. I'm trying not to be divisive. I'm just trying to point out that um, we need to be listening to each other on both sides of the discussion. <laughs> I don't know how that's divisive, but meh. You know that uh, we live in a very, I think, a very decadent uh, period of 
of American history. And, um, you know, art reflects the, the, uh, the ethos um, of, of, the, of, of the people. And I think that, uh, that modern art is in, is in trouble. Uh, and there's some that's just beautiful and some that's not. Um, for instance, uh, if well, I, I, I don't want to go into it, but the point I'm trying to make isn't that one is superior to the other. That that, um, but the real point I'm trying to make is it doesn't matter what you and I like. I know what I like. It may not be what you like. The whole point is, what does the Lord like? <laughs> if our desire is to please God, we'll do fine. But uh, oh, and also, don't forget to go to the website and look at the uh, Father Rocky's Advent Reflections. And, you know, Advent, it's not too early to start. I'm, you know, uh, it's just amazing to me how they want to shill for Christmas already. You know, to shill means it's a, a Yiddish uh, word meaning shill. But they just, they, the stuff is out already. Um, let's, let's, I think Father Rocky's Advent Reflections, which you can find on the app or the website, are a wonderful way to, to sanctify uh, this time of the year, which is a holy season. It's it's a season of penance, repentance, and reflection. All right, uh, let us now go to the word of the day. <laughs> this is a fun word of the day. Uh, the uh, In Luke, the reading from Luke, the 19th chapter, probably about the 43rd verse, uh, for the days are coming upon you when your enemies will raise a palisade against you. What, what did, what's it? A palisade. A palisade is a wall of sticks. Palos means a stick. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny. There's some car manufacturer that has just manufactured a car that they call the palisade. Come, drive our wall of sticks. But very interesting because the Romans were great at siege warfare. They would s- literally surround uh, a city and put up walls, and they just waited until you starved. And that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem. The, the siege of Jerusalem, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, uh, was, um, uh, he says that 1.1 million non-combatants died. Now, that's probably an exaggeration uh, because it uh, far exceeds the entire uh, population of Jerusalem before the siege. However, it was a, a feast day, and there people came to Jerusalem by the boatload, uh, Jerusalem, the population doubled, tripled sometimes in certain holidays. Uh, so um, it was they were the the people who come to celebrate Passover from all over the Holy Land and all over the world. Really, um, um, well, they were caught. Now he writes that ninety-seven thousand people were taken as slaves. They just set up this this wall around. Uh, Jerusalem. You can actually see, if you go to Masada, you can actually see the remnants of, of the wall. Uh, they didn't have sticks in Masada, so they built it out of stones. But a palisade originally meant a, a, a wooden wall, uh, and um, the Romans were experts at it. So, that said, um, I mean, the siege of Jerusalem was awful. It was just incredibly horrible. Uh, maybe only half a million died. Who knows? All right, well, let's go to phone calls. The phone is ringing. Whom do we have on the phone? Emily from Texas, are you with us? What can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. I have a question about something you said yesterday. Oh, dear. You were talking about (laughs) baptism 
and how if you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, even if you're Baptist, you've still been, and I'm. this is where I'm confused, you've, you're still part of the church? You, you, let's look at what the church is. How how I see the church, I see the church as this organization uh, that's run by men with little plastic collars. Um, you know, if you go to Rome uh, and sit in the Via della Conciliazione, having a, uh, an espresso in the morning, you will see a parade of people in clerical clothing with briefcases, you know, cassocks and briefcases. I don't know if they still wear cassocks, but they did last time I was there. And they look, they look like they've been sucking on a lemon for a half an hour. <laughs> you know, that's people look at that and say, well, the church should this, the church should that. But the Lord looks at the church as a bride, a wife, a mother. And you're incorporated into her by baptism. And though they are not fully incorporated, they don't go on to the the other sacraments of initiation, such as confirmation and the Holy Eucharist, uh, they still have a relationship to that mother and to that family. So they're not outside the church. They're not inside it as much as we'd like them to be, but they're not outside. And we owe them the respect. For instance, if a person who's validly baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, um, uh, wants to become a Catholic, we don't rebaptize them. They're already baptized. Now, if they're baptized uh, in, a, in, in a religion that does not use or intend the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit formula, for instance, they're Jesus-only baptism people, we would rebaptize them. But even more than that, I was talking to my classmate, Father Branken, and he reminded me that, that by their common humanity, by God's love for them, in a certain sense, they are united to the church. Not 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 in a in a clear and visible way, but those people who are baptized share the sacrament, the first sacrament with us. Does that help a little? It does. So here's my follow up question. Sure. About a year and a half ago, I heard a, a sermon about how if you're not Catholic, and it was a little bit disturbing because some I've got young kids, and sometimes we take friends to church with us mm-hmm. that aren't Catholic. And it was, if you're not Catholic, you're not going to go to heaven because you're not part of the true church. That's heresy. That's heresy. Okay. Un- unless he meant it in terms of the universe. I think he'll be rather shocked. Uh, Abraham was not Catholic. And uh, he's counted as a saint. The Maccabee, the Maccabee saints we talked about yesterday, uh, the church regards them as being in heaven. The holy innocents, they weren't members of the Catholic church. Uh, um, right. You know, I mean that that I, that was ill considered of him. Whoever said that. Uh, now, okay. I just needed some clarification. Yeah. And what you said yesterday, like, opened my eyes, and I was like, "Wow, I need to make sure I heard correctly." You did you did? And I, 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 if I'm wrong about that, and there's a better theologian than I who will correct me. Now, I would say that God had great pity on me and brought me to the Catholic Church because I'm so thick-headed and stubborn. I need all the sacraments. You know, I've heard it said it is amazing how we Catholics who have so much do so little with it. And many Protestants who have so much less than we do in terms of the expression of faith, they do so much more with what they've been given. Um, this is, uh, you know, I wish that everybody had the blessing of the sacraments, the blessing of the of the of the communion of saints. But I, 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 God, remember that no one is as anxious to get people to heaven as God is. And when we, the clergy, begin to close the gates of heaven, well, uh, 
we should worry that we will find ourselves outside them. So that's, and you know, again, I, I regret sounding like a liberal because I'm not one. But uh, on the other hand, um, I do think it's important that we have a real respect and affection for our, our brothers and sisters who may not be uh, fully initiated into the church. So I hope that helps. Yes, thank you. Good. And I do pray that a better That's theologian than I will than, uh, keep you in my prayers. Please. And I pray for all my friends who are ill. I'm very worried about some people who are quite ill with COVID. So if you're going to pray for me, pray for them. Thank you. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope a theologian who is better educated than I is listening and can correct me if I'm wrong. All right. Who we got now? Jason from Sun City. Are you with us? What can I do for you? Yes, Father. I, uh, I, w- I went to Catholic uh, school from first to the 12th grade in the 1940s, mm-hmm. which is probably before you were born. Not, I was born in 49, so <laughs> go okay. on. Anyway, uh, we were told that when we receive Holy Communion, Jesus stays with us 15 minutes. And I was wondering if that was the teaching of the church or the opinion of the nun. It's the opinion of theologians, <laughs> of whom the nun was one. I don't know that it's a doctrine, but but just physiologically, I, I've heard ten minutes that 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 uh, the consecrated substance remains identifiably uh, uh, the host. You know, it sounds a little grisly, but <laughs> a little odd, but not grisly, but. But the point of that is it's a wonderful time to spend a little extra time in church. And it would be respectful not to eat within 10 minutes. So if you go over to the laying on of donuts, uh, dawdle a bit in church first and then go over and get the coffee and donuts. But it's it's to notice that is to say that, that Christ is physically with us uh, for a bit after Mass is over, you know, that... Um, Good thing, good time to spend in prayer. So I, I think that she was not off base. I don't know that it's a teaching of the church, but it is certainly physiologically probable. Does that help? Yes, I usually try for 15 minutes, but I'm sure it's sure. okay. Thank you very yeah. much. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't hurt. It's not forbidden to eat immediately, but it's, it's recommended that we, we spend a little extra time in prayer. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Sue from Chicago, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. How are you? Pretty good, uh, considering the ravages of old age. But what can I do for you? Uh, well, I know you're a little younger than I am. But anyway, um, yeah, here's what's going on. We had a parking lot mask going on in our parish for about over mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. yeah on Sunday, and it was always packed. And uh, some of my friends who were in their 80s would say, oh, we love it. You know, we're afraid to go to church. And mm-hmm. today, I, in our bulletin, I saw that our pastor has decided to cancel the parking lot mass, and he said that he's going to have um, drive-through Holy Communion in case you're afraid to go to church. I know. He said what you should do is, if you're afraid to come into church, watch the stream of the mass on YouTube and then get in your car and come through the drive-through and get Holy Communion. I'm not kidding. So I just wanted to know, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I, you know, um, I, I don't know what I think about it. I think about it, well, he's given it the old college try. God bless him. Uh, it is a little odd. 
And I think one of the dangers of doing that kind of thing is, oh, but we liked the parking lot mass. We got used to it. Well, in about a year, I really liked the drive-through communion, that, that introducing all these kind of new variations that are very convenient. I'm not so sure that mass is supposed to be convenient. Um, it's, it's, it's scaling uh, the heights of Calvary. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, God bless him for, for trying to be innovative and to, and to, um, uh, to serve his people. So unless the bishop forbids it, um, I would not complain about it. Um, the, the, um, these are very strange times, uh, you may have noticed, but this idea that, 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 um, oh, I'm probably going to jump on a third rail here. The idea that I should have communion when I want and the way I want. When I was a boy and the woolly mammoth still roamed, people didn't go to communion because you had to fast from midnight from water and from, uh, from food. And there was no convenience about it. Communion was to be prepared for and to be meditated on. Now it's the old, got to get there in time for communion, got to get communion, you know. Understand, the Holy Eucharist, I make this differentiation. The Holy Eucharist and Holy Communion, though inseparably united, are two different things. I can give you the Holy Eucharist. I can't give you Holy Communion. Only God can give you Holy Communion, and he only does it if your soul is disposed, because the word communion refers to strong and intimate union. And if I am living in sin, for instance, I can't receive Holy Communion. Not I may not. I can't. I should not and may not receive the Eucharist if I'm in a state of sin. However, I cannot. It is an impossibility for me to enter into deep and intimate union with the Lord if I'm in a state of mortal sin. Now, let's apply that to this. I'm not saying that that's a state of mortal sin, but the convenient element is like, yeah, I'm entering into union with the Lord on the way to the mall. No, we, we don't prepare for communion. And I think that the, the kind of, got to get communion, got to get communion. No, you don't. You got to be ready to receive communion. Uh, this may sound like heresy, but we have made the reception of the Holy Eucharist such a convenience that it may um, it may indispose us to Holy Communion. Do you follow what I mean? The very ease with which we can get the Eucharist. Father, I didn't get the wine. That kind of nonsense. Um, it may distance us from Holy Communion. That's the theory, and I may be wrong. Take it with a grain of salt. But Drew is coming up, and you can take him at his word. That's one of the things I like about Drew. He's, he says it like it is.